I come to you with new family tea on Ooh. my on the Traccio side, the Babby side, really, which is my mom's Italian tea. Italian tea. <laughs> no, no, no. This is the Irish Ukrainian side. Ah, uh, yeah. This is this is true proper Irish Ukrainian tea. <laughs> okay, so I shouldn't probably be telling this story on the whiff that the U.S. government hears about it, but their hands are tied revealing aliens right now. So I feel like this will fly under the radar really nicely. But remember my Uncle Frank? Yes. Okay. To bring the audience... I'm so excited about this story now. (laughs) Very vague summary of my Uncle Frank. He worked for NASA as an engineer, which I found out in telecommunications, which I did not know. Which is really cool. That makes this even more intriguing. Yes. And so he was, he worked on all the Apollo missions and he was in mission control in Houston, which, you know, uh, mission control in Houston um, when they landed on the moon. Super cool guy. Uh, he also like had top clearance to area 51 and the white house. He helped with something in the cold war, which I also found out. I'm going to cut it here. This information is confidential and for your protection and the protection of others has been redacted. All right. And back. Uh, so, so if you can't tell though, because he had top clearance, my family was not allowed to know. I mean, I really wasn't alive then, but my family wasn't allowed to know where he was half the time. You're not supposed to ask someone who has that type of clearance. I'm not going to mention anything that happened towards his death. There are strange circumstances. There are strange circumstances and I have theories, but we're going to leave it there. I don't want to spill too much tea. I don't want to get the government's ears perked. This is not the Boston Tea Party. (laughs) (laughs) So I am sitting around my mother's dinner table with my aunt, my 13 year old niece, my sister-in-law, And my mom's in the kitchen. And my aunt proceeds to tell me that the same uncle wrote a book. What? I don't think it got published. I think there's only one copy. I am willingly saying I do not know where this book is. You need to find this book. Most likely destroyed. I am not in possession of this book. Absolutely not. You've got to go on a national treasure level to hunt to find Wait this book. Wait until you hear the topic. The topic of this book. Speculative. But true. Uh, was. Poisons you can find on the side of the road. The f- What? And would be untraceable. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? I... First you off, heard me correctly. There's that many poisons that he had a whole book's worth of content. Yes. Yes. Second off, he gave it to my grandmother, who was basically Betty Crocker in persona. He gave this book to my 1950s skirt wearing, perfectly laid out to the T hair grandmother. I want to read this book. I do too. (laughs) The sad thing is, I don't know where it is. I don't know if my grandmother kept it. It's probably the Library of Congress in a vault somewhere. (laughs) So there you go. That 
is the most interesting family story I have heard. Yeah, that's pretty great. In the longest time. And with that said, I am Beth Ann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. <laughs> it's wild, man. We should just, we're going to stop this episode and go talk about that for the rest of this hour but oh i'm i'm sure there's more to that story we do have some reviews to read um, yes again thank you to everyone who's taken the time to review subscribe follow where whatever your listening platform offers um we we love you for it keep doing it okay i'm choosing two reviews yes and then delete them from the sheet when you're and done. i will delete them from the sheet so the one i'm feeling pulled to is from chris 2218 with the headline of feeling rocked my favorite podcast for all 7-eleven related content (laughs) (laughs) these two have such a great dynamic and present a well-researched topic in a really fun manner I don't have a lot of knowledge about rock music or the bands that made them, but when I am listening to this podcast I feel like I am learning so much I could if I could give it 10 stars, I absolutely would. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad that you appreciate my 7-Eleven commentary. <laughs> and I want to say that last time we were here recording for an interview, Josh went to 7-Eleven and the Slurpee machines were still broken. Yes. All four of them. <laughs> it was a very nice offer, too. Did he even get us anything? No. <laughs> Bullshit. I don't see uh, the Clash the Clash reviews in here. Those were Facebook comments. We forgot to point that out last episode. So we We got the anti-review of... um, So I usually... One of our like promotion strategies is to join a Facebook fan group for the group that we're covering and then post the link in there because it's relevant content. Normally this goes over very well. It did not in the Clash groups on Facebook. No, it did not. We had a guy tell us that the episode was hellish, unnatural, and disappointing. <laughs> so <laughs> I am going to say to that audience the same thing the Sex Pistols told the audience in Camden back in 1970-whatever. And that was, here's our, and I'm going to bridge this to fit my situation. Here's my fucking opinion. I don't give a flying fuck whether you like it or not. I'm still going to give my fucking opinion. So, yeah, stay away from the Clash groups if yeah. you like friendly Facebook groups. Well, they are called the Clash, Leah. I know. They're not called the Friends. The Carpenters women. They're not called the Kumbayas. The Carpenters women were so much nicer than the Clash men. (laughs) And on that note. Anyway, uh, let me pick another short one here. Let's pick another good review because the Clash. I'm going to do this one right here from Deadfish03. (laughs) Half the fun of these is the usernames. Correct. Um, I love great rock. Oh, this is titled Love It. I love great rock stories. This podcast is right up my alley. Nice work, ladies. You've got a new listener. Thank, Thank you, you, Dead Fish Zero Three. <laughs> Dead Fish Zero Three. <laughs> All right. Here's here's your computer. All right. So, as Beth Ann mentioned last episode, this is another rule breaker. Mm-hmm. 
That's another sad ending rule breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but not a sad story in the way that like Amy's story is sad. Yeah. It's a very happy story. And that's the story of Selena Quintanilla. And I'm going to throw this disclaimer that I am white and I took five years of Latin. So please do not come at me with my Spanish <laughs> pronunciations. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm going to try really hard. Um, but I did not. I have no Spanish training. So I'm sorry. And this is our first Latina artist. Ooh. So shout out to Selena. Um, if you have not watched the Netflix series, mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. It is very well done. Her family was um, a consulting party okay. on the whole series. Um, the casting is impeccable. Like, if you look at the photos of her actual family, mm-hmm. it's like they just cloned them in that moment in time. It's very creepy. Wow. Love it. So, Selena. Selena Quintanilla was born on April 16th, 1971 in Lake Jackson, Texas. She's the youngest child of Marcella and Abraham. She has an older brother named Abraham III, who obviously did not want to go by Abraham III. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. So they call him AB. That's cute. Much better. And she has an older sister named Suzette. Uh, Many, many years before the children were born, Abraham was a part of the Tejano music scene, and it was in a group called the Los Dinos. Sorry, the Los Dinos. Uh, And if you don't know what Tejano music is, because most white people don't know what Tejano music Mm -hmm. is. I did not until this research. Um, It is a subset of, like, Spanish music. It's very male-dominated. But it has German influences of polka, jazz, and American country music. Okay. I think I know this style of music. You probably do. It's very much, it's a very big thing in Texas. Um, so, yeah, it had those influences and was made really, really popular by Mexicans living in the United States. And while in the group, the Los Dinos, uh, Abraham learned the reality of both the music world and just being a Mexican-American in the music world. Yeah. And that is that you had to be a man. And he had to be Mexican enough to appeal to the Mexicans and American enough to appeal to the Americans. Um, his group did not make it very far because mm-hmm. it was the sick 50s and America was hella racist. So he just closed that chapter of his life and had a family. Um, and when Selena was six, they realized that she could sing really well, like freakishly well for mm-hmm. a six year old. Um, I don't know if the girl they have player in either the, the movie or the Netflix series is the one singing, but like, it's the kind of where you watch this child sing and you're like, is this actually coming out of your body? Because yeah. that's an adult voice. Um, well, so, that's the same thing with Amy. Yeah. Like you just hear and you're like, excuse me. I didn't know you were 47. Yeah. And we're completely classically trained. You have perfect pitch. What is this? Yeah. And so obviously your parents were like, whoa we gotta we gotta work on that because that's that's awesome um and so she learned songs from her her dad and she didn't speak spanish like selena was not bilingual until much much later in her life Mm -hmm. so she would have to learn how to sing songs in spanish phonetically from her dad (laughs) oh yeah um and this this worked out really well for the family because in 1981 abraham opens his dream of owning a Tex-Mex restaurant called Papagayo's where conveniently 
the band playing every night was Selena, Ab, oh, and Suzette. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's so sweet. So he had a built-in band for his little restaurant. Um, Ab plays bass guitar, and Suzette plays on drums. Uh, she didn't want to play drums because girls don't play drums, and his, her dad was basically like. Too bad. We only have three kids. So <laughs> there's only three instruments available. You could choose. <laughs> you get to play drums. Um, unfortunately, the restaurant was closed like a year later, a year or two later, because of the 1980s oil recession. Oh yeah. So sad time to be alive. Thanks, Reagan. Yeah. Sorry. Literally in up. the movie. In the movie, there's a scene where, like, the restaurant's closing down, and one of the neighbors comes in and is like, it's that new Reaganomics. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, they were bitter when they made this movie. Um, because of this, the family was forced to declare bankruptcy, sell their home, and move to Corpus Christi to live with, I think, her Abraham's family. Okay. They had, like, 27 cousins. It's real cute. Um, that they, they like, it was kind of cool that they grew up with like so many cousins around. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, and because they desperately needed money because they were basically homeless and broke, Abraham decided, you know what? You're a real band now. He became the manager of this, this new kids band called Selena y Los Dinos. And they started playing wherever they could play, like county fairs, weddings, street corners, Mm -hmm. quinceaneras, like anything if they could get a couple bucks out of it they would do it um and they they grew in popularity really fast because they were really good at what they did selena was seven eight at the time so she's really cute and she's already really good at commanding a crowd like i've never seen an eight-year-old have this much power over full-grown adults but she did wow and so abraham decides you know what we're going to take you kids out of school and you're going to be a real band. You're going to start touring. Oh, geez. And so in eighth grade, well, when Selena was in eighth grade, he pulled the kids out and she finished up her education through correspondence school, which is okay. unheard of in the eighties for yeah. an eighth grader, but good for her. I think she actually got her uh, high school diploma early because oh. she I could see her doing that. Worked really hard. Yeah. She even did college online. Or online, God. (laughs) (laughs) Through a correspondence (laughs) class uh, at Pacific Western University. And she was a business administration major. That's awesome. So good for her. And as they're touring around in their bus, which they named Big... Or it was a van. It was like one of those 18 passenger vans the seats ripped out. They named it Big Bertha. Aw. It was a bus. It was like a mini bus. Um, So they're touring around Texas in this bus. Um popping over to Mexico occasionally and they start to get some hate because a lot of people thought that a woman shouldn't be performing Tejano music or a girl. She was a girl at this point um, because it was for men and because she didn't speak Spanish, only English and in interviews. The Mexicans were like, well, she's not Mexican enough for us. Mm. And the Americans were like, well, she's not a girl. She's not a man. And her dad was basically like, well, screw all of you. We're going to do this whether you like it or not. Yeah. So we like Abraham. Um, also some of the reason that they had to play in Mexico, even though they weren't like super accepting of her is because Selena's what, 11, 12, 13 at this point. And a lot of the Texas venues won't let her in, (laughs) (laughs) even though she's the lead singer. Uh, let me tell you something about Texas. You want to know why Kansas 
got a free show beer yes um and so they had to find somewhere to play that would let the band play even though they were underage um so because they weren't really accepted fully by like the american or mexican crowd Mm-hmm. they started to bond with other underrepresented people. So like other Mexican American women and just groups that felt like they didn't belong in either place. Yeah. So she starts to get this, like, I don't want to call it a cult like following, but it's a very dedicated fan base. Oh, um, and very quickly because she's, you know, not 45, like all the other Tejano guys, she yeah. starts to like modernize it. Cause she's getting and she and her siblings are at this point, they're writing their own music. AB, becomes super a super great writer um and they're getting their influences not from like doo-wop in the 50s but Mm -hmm. from like paula abdul and madonna Mm -hmm. and all these other artists that are big in the 80s and so it's the first time that a lot of younger people are listening to tejano music because they're like it's our grandparents music but wait a minute there's this 16 17 year old girl that looks like me singing it yeah i want to listen to it too and so in 1984, she records her first LP, appropriately called Salino y Los Dinos, for a little label in Texas called Freddie Records. And she really wanted to record in English, but her dad was like, no, you need to record what the people know you for. Like, there will come a day you can record an English album. She wanted right. nothing more than to record an English album. He's like, you just have to wait. Like, I promise you it will happen eventually. And so her dad convinced her to that she needed to record the Tejano compositions and she took off in the Tejano space, like unheard of. Um, the founder of the Tejano music awards discovered her at a fair or some small venue. I don't know exactly where. And in 1987, she won the Tejano female vocalist of the year award. And then would continue to win for nine consecutive years. Wow. After that, she blew this space open like I love it I can't even explain like the impact that she had um and so that first album was in 1984 and by 1988 she had five more LPs she did Alpha in 1986 uh Monequito de Trapo in 1987 and the winner is in 1987 Preciosa in 1988 and Dolce Amor in 1988 so like they're touring recording touring recording touring recording so it makes sense that she finished her high school diploma so early right because who wants to worry about that um and here i want to mention that ever since the beginning of their career abraham has had a very strict image that he wants the band to maintain like he wants them to be clean cut and family friendly and so did selena like she didn't want to be this like like other 80s icons yeah i don't know how to explain that without degrading someone else sure. so she don't be like other 80s icons she knew a lot of younger females were coming to her shows like seven-year-olds eight-year-olds and so she wanted to give them just someone to look up to mm-hmm. and so she never recorded any explicit songs um her family are were jehovah's witnesses mm-hmm. so it kind of it went against their religion but also she just didn't want to represent that to young kids mm-hmm. and her fashion sense was chef's kiss <laughs> um because pretty much if you watch anything made about her life in this period 
She pioneered summer 2021 style. Right. She's wearing decorative bustiers, crop tops, spandex with tight pants, uh, unbuttoned jackets over her bustiers and tube tops. Uh, She was one of the first fashion icons to really show off her curves. Um, She's very public in letting everyone know that she didn't believe that women should be real thin. Uh, Anytime that they would give you the standard interview question of like, how do you keep your figure? She's like, I eat an entire medium pizza by myself. (laughs) I love it. Same. And she wanted to like influence her fans that they didn't need to be super young to be beautiful. They didn't need to be super thin. And Mm -hmm. she was challenging the public perception of, of femininity because in the eighties, if you didn't have, curves that was like the normal thing right so we stand selena i also want to point out that uh her clothing choices of her decorative bustiers got her kicked out of the jehovah's witnesses Uh oh so go selena (laughs) (laughs) okay so back to the tejano music awards in 1989 she's performing at the tejano music awards like she is every year because she's sweeping all the categories right and Jose Behar of EMI's newly formed Latin sublabel, just an offshoot of the main brand, is there watching. And he's looking for new Latin acts. He wants to sign Selena because he believed that she was the next Gloria Estefan. That's a big compliment. Yes. And so he's trying to sign her. And he's like, she's really, really good. But his, his supervisors at EMI were like, I think you've lost it a little bit. You've been in Texas a week. You can't start signing people. You got to do some more research. And he's like, no, we have to sign Selena. Mm-hmm. And so Abraham actually ends up entertaining offers from both Capital and EMI and going back and forth. Um, and he ultimately chooses EMI because they promised Selena she can make an English album, which is all she wants. That's good. He kept his promise to yes. her. Yes. Abraham... Again, we've had some shitty people, on, shitty parents on this mm-hmm. podcast. For the most part, Abraham is a very good father. He's yeah. strict in some senses and he pushes Selena and he will get to something in a minute. But 98% of the time, he's a very, very good father. That's nice. That's ni- That's refreshing. To it see. is refreshing. I told you, for the most part, this is a happy story. Yeah. Um. So he was like, "That's that's what we want. We want a crossover album also it his would make selena y los dinos the very first musicians to sign this new emi label and he wanted that title mm-hmm. um but they tell her that she has to do some more tejano records first because like it's in her contract that she can do a crossover album but they straight told her to her face that a mexican american woman would never have crossover potential Hmm. That was a lie. Yeah. But her dad's just still like, you know, wait. There will be a day. Like, I promise you'll make it happen. So, under EMI Records, uh, or EMI's label, Selena releases her self-titled debut album on October 17th, 1989. And on this record, AB wrote most of the songs and produced most of it. Oh, wow. So Nice. Shout out to EMI for A, letting him do that because they could have very easily brought in a team, an external producer that like knew better. Yeah. Um, but 
he like he knew what he was doing. He's been with his sister his entire life, her entire life. So like he knew that music better than anyone. Yeah. And with this debut album, she peaked at number seven on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart, becoming her first record to debut on a national music chart. So like from the get go with EMI and the resources that it gave her, she's charting. In the same year, Coca-Cola wants her to be a spokesperson in Texas. Ooh. You're doing good when Coca-Cola wants to be. Yeah. Especially when that's uh, Dr. Pepper country. <laughs> True. And so they they make a commercial for, for Coke. And the song that's in the commercial is composed by, obviously, A.B. Yeah. But also this new guy, Chris Perez. And he joined Selena Elas Dinos. A couple months earlier as the band's new guitarist. Hmm. And he's important not only because he's the guitarist, but also because he and Selena start catching feelings for each other. Uh-oh. Here it goes. But there's two issues here. Chris has a girlfriend back in San Antonio. That's an issue. And Abraham does not approve of this relationship. Also an issue. At all. Like... Especially because it's Selena, because it's his baby girl. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he would have approved of any dating in the whole band because that's yeah. how you break up bands, as we learned. True. It's very true. So he breaks up with his girlfriend and starts a secret relationship with Selena. Uh-oh. Well, we're going to pause their story for a second and pop over to San Antonio, where a registered nurse and fan named Yolanda Saldivar ask Abraham if she can start a fan club for Selena. Mm-hmm. She said that she just, she's a really big fan. She had the idea after seeing like other artists fan clubs and Abraham's like, sure, why not? It's mm-hmm. going to bring us more popularity. You'll handle all the business stuff. I don't have to do anything. So sure. Green lights, the fan club. And she becomes a fan of the family. Like they're corresponding with her and, Doing business with her. So, put Yolanda over here. Come back to her. Uh, So, that same year, Selena records a duet with Salvadorian singer Alvaro Torres. The song's called Buenos Amigos, and it peaks at number one on the U.S. Billboard Top Latin Songs, which is a bigger chart than regional Mexican albums. Yeah. And this got her... uh, Oh, this got her her first number one single. And the music video was nominated for two Billboard Music Awards. Nice. And up to this point, she's really just been touring in Texas and like maybe Oklahoma and New Mexico. Mm -hmm. This opens up the East and West Coast to her. So she's, I mean, she's not like up in Montana, but she's pretty much covering the whole bottom half of the U.S. And this is one of her more well-played songs on the radio it a lot of them were the tejano stations weren't playing her because she was a woman and because they're still on that they're still on that and because even though she won the the oh, awards yeah. for it it's the 80s mm. well it's the 91 now but it's the 80s <laughs> you're not really out of a decade so you get to like the fives yeah um which I hate that it took a duet with a man to get her on the airwaves. Well, we had to get a vice president with a man and the president. So, you know, 
it, there's a pattern. We'll take what we can get. Yeah. Uh. So anyway, back to that secret relationship. Okay. As you can imagine, this doesn't. It's very hard to keep a secret when you live on a tour bus together. Yeah. And live with your band, who's also your dad, twenty four seven. Yeah. Yeah. So they keep it secret for a while, but then Suzette finds Selena and Chris flirting with each other. Like, were they passing notes on the bus or something? No, they're like making out behind closed doors. (laughs) Um, And so Suzette sees them and immediately tells their dad. Oh, that's the worst sibling. That's the worst sibling. Snitches get stitches, Suzette. Terrible sister. I'm just kidding. She's really nice, I think. I've never met her, but she seems very nice. But don't tell your father. No. Um, so obviously, Abraham didn't like this. He kicks Chris off the bus and tells him that his relationship with Selena's over. Ooh, like in the middle of a desert? Um, so the way that it's portrayed in the only sources I have for this is the movie and the Netflix series, which uh-huh. Abraham consulted on, so I'll, I'll take it. In both of those, he pulls them off the bus and yells at him and is like, you can have a ride back to Corpus Christi, but then I never want to see you again. So he didn't just like abandon him, but he does fire him. Yeah. So. But the relationship was not over. Uh Uh-oh. So they continue their not-so-secret relationship for a very long time. Um, So whenever she's like back in town he's still living in Corpus Christi because he's not touring with the band. Yeah. She's like sneaking off to go shopping and is meeting Uh up with him. And like things get so bad that Abraham calls Chris a cancer in my family. Oh. And threatens to disband the entire group if Selena continues to see him. Dad does not like him. But they keep seeing each other. You can't stop true love. Um, So they they do this like secret dating thing for like three years. I'm pretty sure that includes the time that they were touring together, too. Yeah. Um, but then on the morning of April 2nd, 1992, they just decide to go elope. Because Selena, wow. bless her, was like, you know, family is the most important thing to my dad. Yeah. And he can't say no to you if you're family. Ooh, that's a great loophole. It's a great loophole. When did they get married? 1992? April 2nd, 1992. That was 20... Six days before I got before I was born on that exact April 29th or twenty. They waited a little longer. Is. They could have gotten married on your birthday. I know. Um. So yeah, great loophole. If your dad doesn't like the guy you're dating but loves family, just marry him. I mean, for my family, once my dad heard that Josh is named in an end in a vowel, I told him sometimes. <laughs> uh, he saw how tall Josh was, and that pretty much cleared that one. <laughs> Uh, dads yeah there's some uh so they obviously plan on telling the family themselves but selena's famous at this point and so somehow someone sees them at the courthouse and calls the media and so her parents find out on the radio yeah as you can imagine abraham did not take this well (laughs) um but he does eventually warm up, arm up to Chris, and he becomes part of the family. And uh, that doesn't stop him from calling Chris a chauvinist and some other choice words. Ooh. But uh, he believed that the his whole like point of not wanting 
Selena to be in a relationship with Chris is he thought that Chris would convince her to like stop her music career. And I think he basically convinced Abraham like, no, I want that just as much as you do. I'm in the band. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing you'll see in like all the, the media portrayals of Selena now is how much Abraham loves Selena and he was, I mean, she was his baby. Yeah. He was just really protective of her. Right. Um, so he does eventually apologize to Chris, hires Chris back in the band. Well, that's nice of him. And everyone lived somewhat happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get an apartment in Corpus Christi. So they get a house in Corpus Christi and then immediately get a Porsche, five dogs, and a pet python. <laughs> that's a nice house, except minus the python. Uh, yeah. You can get rid of the python. The python, give or take. And they were super cute together. Like, if you watch footage of them around this time that they're married, they are completely and totally in love. Like, Aww. it's almost gross. They're so cute together. Yeah. And I love them so much. Um. So a month after she elopes, she releases her third studio album. Andre Amimundo in May 1992, which is considered to be her breakthrough album. It became the first Tejano album by a female artist to sell over 300,000 copies. Wow. And because of the popularity of this album, she got booked for a high high profile press tour in Monterey, Mexico with like huge people in music press, like people that she was not getting interviewed by before. And remember... The Mexicans don't like the Tejano singers because they're not Mexican enough. And if you don't speak Spanish perfectly, you're an imposter. And so they were really, really worried about Selena going down to Mexico. She's she's bilingual at this point, but it's not perfect. She's still American. And they like her dad was giving her like coaching and everyone was really concerned this was going to go bad and just kind of shoot her career in the foot. But. What they forgot is that Selena is just super charismatic and she plays everything to like her strengths. Um, she, in a press interview, she forgot the Spanish word for excited. So she just like says, I'm mi mucho, um, um, excited. And it's just adorable. And they all laughed and like she, she won them over. I love it. Uh, it actually got her declared as an artist of the people because oh, I love that she was super relatable. Uh, and the newspapers thought that she was a refreshing change from the telenovela actors who were fair skinned, blonde haired and green eyed. So she was refreshing. This album produced four singles, Como La Flor, which is one of her most famous songs, uh, La Carcacha and Amame. Como La Flor became her like signature song. You've, I promise you, you've heard it, even if you don't realize you've heard it, because it plays everywhere. And that is considered the song that launched her career. That dominated the Latin music charts became in the U.S., became immensely popular in Mexico, and it was well-received by critics. So it was like a trifecta of yeah. things that she needed to launch her career. Um, and it, this is the good point to sidebar and just say... With this, like, incident in Mexico, if you're more interested in learning more about the importance of race relations and uh, 
Selena on Mexican-American identity. Go listen to Anything for Selena by WBUR and Futuro Studios. Excellent podcast done by some excellent Mexican-American women who can speak more to this than I can. Uh, So aside from music, in 1994, Selena began designing and manufacturing her own line of clothing. So she's been designing her stage costumes pretty much her entire life. Mm-hmm. And they're cute. Like, even by today's standards, they still kind of hold up. They're very 90s yeah. and 80s, but they're cute. And so she decides that she wants to invest her money in something other than, like, the house that they're living in. So she starts a boutique, or two boutiques, that she calls Selena, etc. Oh, that's so cute. One's in Corpus Christi, and the other's in San Antonio. And she was, like, ahead of her time because she put an in-house beauty salon in the boutique. Oh, that's smart. So you can go shopping and get your hair done. I love it. One-stop shop. Uh, and she planned on opening, opening more stores. She had plans for a third and fourth store in Monterey, Mexico and Puerto Rico, but things happened and they ended up not have not opening when they were supposed to um and so who do they call in to help manage these boutiques because selena's hella busy Mm -hmm. she's touring she's recording albums she's married so they have a family friend yolanda oh yolanda yolanda's been running the fan club seamlessly for years so they call her up and they're like hey do you want a job doing the financials for these boutiques and Yolanda's like, yes, I love Selena. I'll do anything for Selena. Mm-hmm. And so she comes and manages these, these boutiques. Um, and, you know, did a good job as far as they knew. So Hispanic Business Magazine reported that Selena's boutiques earned over $5 million. Jeez. I mean, she was, she was popular, but also her stuff was very cute. And she put a lot of care into it. And she was actually ranked among the 20th top 20 wealthiest hispanic musicians because of both her music income and this boutique income right so i love a diversified portfolio Mm -hmm. she didn't bank on just her music earnings to make her money yeah in 1995 they released an album live it's a live album shocker (laughs) uh and it earns her her first grammy nomination and first grammy win Aww. for best mexican-american album and i i love the way that both it's portrayed in both the um show and the movie especially the show i don't want to spoil it if you haven't watched it but the scene is super cute in march 1994 she released her fourth studio album amor prohibido and it became one of the best-selling latin albums in the u.s it had four number one singles Bitty bitty bum bum. Uh, <laughs> no me queda mas and fotos y recuerdos. And this also got a Grammy nomination for best Mexican American album. Uh, it did not win that year in 1995, but it did win record of the year at the Tejano Music Awards. So, have you ever thought about what would happen if your airline window popped out? Or if you can build a jetpack using only machine guns. Well, we found out you could, but you really shouldn't. Hi, I'm Jill Chacha. And I'm Marissa Riley. Together, we have one comedy science show called, well, that's interesting. 
It's for folks who like to learn about weird stuff, like how hair can grow between your teeth and what happens if the moon disappears. If you need a break from the world or need interesting stuff to bring up at a party when those happen again, come on by. Find Well That's Interesting wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So after this release, that album, Amor Prohibido, is the considered one of the most essential Latin recordings of the past 50 years. It's included pretty much on every top 100 albums list um, in that the Latin, er, mm-hmm. Latin genre. In 2017, NPR ranked it at number 19 on their list of 150 greatest albums made by women, which you can bet I bookmarked that article yes. to visit later. Very good. Uh, in late 1994, she's, like I said, she's bigger than Tejano itself, and the EMI chairman, Charles Koppelman, decided you did it. You've achieved your goals with the Spanish-speaking market. You can make your English album. And so... She starts working on it. Um, this is the first album that she was not recording with her team. So AB mm-hmm. wasn't writing the songs. EMI hired a team of like very big producers and like they do for big artists. Yeah. You know? And so she kind of felt a little conflicted that she wasn't working with the people who helped make her who she was, but also sure. she was really excited to make this album that she dreamed of her entire life. Um, and so while she's working on this album, she does that record-breaking sold-out concert at the Houston Astrodome in February 1995. And this uh, concert is so well attended that it beat Michael Jackson's attendance record wow. at the Astrodome. Which I don't really understand when venues are like that because there's a finite amount of seats. Yeah. So if it's sold out, it should just be sold out. But maybe there's one seat. I'm not going to split hairs. She broke Michael Jackson's <laughs> record. Uh, and very random, she made a cameo in Don Juan DeMarco with Marlon Brando, Johnny Depp, mm. and Faye Dunaway in 1995. But let's bounce back to those boutiques and Yolanda. Um, so she's just been hanging out at the boutiques, running Selena's fan club, managing the monies. But in 1994, stuff starts to kind of fall apart. The boutiques, like a bunch of staff quit. Um, no one really knew why they were quitting. And according to like the people who stayed, Yolanda was just like firing people she didn't like. Okay. There was no real rhyme, real rhyme or reason to it. And other employees routinely complained about Yolanda's behavior to Selena. And Selena just... Selena loves everyone. And so she just doesn't want to like get on Yolanda's bad sides. She's just like, you know, they just don't like their boss. That's normal. Yeah. She dismisses it. And so the staff were like, okay, if she's not going to listen to us. We're going to tell Abraham. And so Abraham listens because Abraham's a hard businessman and he knows to take these things seriously. And so he tells Selena, be careful. Like Yolanda may not be the best influence and the best person to be running your business. And she's just like, you know, I, I trust her. Like, I trust her implicitly. But then the staff were like, you know, Yolanda, she might be a little too obsessed with Selena. Like, mm. it's not a healthy level that this woman is talking about her. Um, You guys should look into it. And so yeah. Abraham does. He 
goes back through his notes and finds that, you know, they've gotten a lot of phone calls from fans who paid for the Selena fan club membership and then never got anything. So he pulls all of the financial records to the boutiques and finds that Yolanda has embezzled more than $30,000 via like stolen checks from the fan club and forged checks from the boutiques. So Yolanda, Selena, Suzette, and Abraham have a meeting on the night of March 9th to confront Yolanda about it. And she denies everything. Um, but they have the paper trail to like, yeah. prove it. And so they they tell her, you know, if you can prove that you didn't do this, we won't press charges. But otherwise, we're pressing charges. Sure. And so Selena didn't want, like, this confrontation to mess up anything between them. And so she follows Yolanda to her motel room at the Days Inn in Corpus Christi. Why this woman is staying in a hotel room, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's because she didn't live in Corpus Christi. Okay. Maybe she was staying there to manage the boutique. She bounced back and forth. She lives in San Antonio. Gotcha. Um, and so at the motel, Selena wanted to see the papers that proved her and her friend's innocence. And Yolanda pulls a gun from her purse. <gasps> oh, shit. And points it at Selena. And Selena attempts to flee. And Yolanda shoots her in the back. Uh, she manages to make it to the hotel desk. She tells the hotel clerk guy uh, that Yolanda was the attacker and she collapses on the floor and she's rushed to the hospital where she's pronounced dead. Oh, God. They tried to get her back, um, but the trauma and blood loss was just, just too much for her to survive. So on April 1st, uh, there was a vigil which drew 3,000 fans and they announced that her funeral would have a public viewing the next day. The next day, fans lined up for almost a mile out the door to pay their respects to Selena. Uh, more than 78,000 people signed the book of condolence at her funeral. Wow. Reactions to her death were compared to those following the deaths of John Lennon and Elvis Presley and recently passed John F. Kennedy Major TV networks stopped their programming to cover the murder, and her death was the front page of the New York Times for two days. Uh, People magazine released a special edition issue a few days after her death, and they kept having to print more because it kept selling out. It ultimately sold over a million copies, um, selling the entire first run within two weeks, and became a collector's edition and the inspiration for People magazine to be run in Spanish. So it's because of Selena that we have people in Espanol. Wow. This was later followed by Newsweek and Latina Magazine releasing Spanish editions. As you can imagine, her death hit the Hispanic com- community extremely hard. Um, and to this day, like many fans still travel to Texas to see her house and her boutiques um, and the crime scene, which, you know, morbid human curiosity. Mm-hmm. And on April 12th, 1995, Two weeks after her death, George W. Bush, then governor of Texas at the time, declared her birthday April 16th, Selena Day in the state, because he said that Selena represented the essence of South Texas culture. This was, of course, protest by white people who said that Easter was more important, to which George W. Bush said, deal with it. In October 1995, a Houston jury convicted Yolanda of first-degree murder and she was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years, which would be 2025. Okay. Um, so that's actually kind of soon. Yeah, that's four years. 
because of the the law in Texas at the time, that was like the maximum sentence, life with a possibility of parole. I think it has since changed, but um, and we've talked about a lot of people on this podcast who have passed, uh, and this one kind of breaks my heart the most because her death was just so fucking unfair. Like, yeah, she was on the brink of fame, exactly where she wanted to be in life. She was super happy. Not a single care in the world. And then just a freak accident of a betrayal of someone who she thought was her best friend. One of her best friends ended her life. Jeez. Did she even get to make her English album? She got part of it done. So we'll get there in a second. Um, So Selena is seen as a cross between Janet Jackson and Whitney Houston in style, feel, and vocal range. Uh, and she didn't write most of her songs. Her brother did. But together, they, they worked on songs together. They incorporated R&B, Latin pop, techno pop, country, and Western, and disco music into her music. Um, so they, Selena's music is like the quintessential American dream in that it blends all these crazy musical genres that should yeah. not work together into one beautiful product. And they expressed... A lot of emotion. I think up until that point, a lot of Tejano music had been very superficial and not digging. Doug obviously didn't dig into female issues because they weren't letting females perform in the space. Yeah. Um, And she worked with AB to write like these driven female empowerment themed compositions that dealt with love and pain and strength and passion and things from like secret relationships to recovering from domestic violence like there was no topic that was uncovered by her mm-hmm. and up until this point the hispanic population had never really seen an artist that looked like them get on stage and be sexy and free and happy and just be themselves until selena came on the scene and she's been credited for helping to redefine latin music and paving the way for artists we've had since such as JLo. We're going to talk about it again in a second, but uh, her English album. So they released, her family released Dreaming of You, her fifth and final studio album, uh, posthumously on July 18th, 1995. It was immediately successful. Um, I think it would have been successful, as successful as it was, even if she had been there to see it released, because it's really, really good. Um, it sold 175,000 copies on its first day of the release in the U.S., which was then a record for the fe- a female vocalist. It's been broken many mm-hmm. times since. Um, but that's a lot of albums at the, in 1995. As of 2017, it sold over 2.9 million copies in the U.S., making it the best-selling Latin album of all time, male or female. And it's really good. It's It definitely has a 90s sound. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It's just the production style of the time. Sure. Um, but it has aged really, really well. In 1995, her family decided that they wanted to honor Selena's legacy with a movie. And so they get Mexican actress Salma Hayek. They cast her as Selena. But she turns down the role because she felt like it was too early to base a film on Selena and she didn't feel like she was emotionally ready for it because it was so close Selena's death was still being covered on TV when they started talking about this her family got a lot of kickback for making or for wanting to do this so early 
I think it was their way of processing their grief. Sure. Um, it's why I think it's why they did the Netflix series. It's just it's their way of having her legacy live on. Yeah. Um, so when Salma Hayek turns it down, they have to have an open audition. So twenty one thousand people show up for this audition, becoming the second largest audition ever after Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind. Wow. In 1939. They eventually cast unknown Puerto Rican American actress Jennifer Lopez. So wait, this is Jennifer Lopez's breakout? Yeah. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Uh but she got a lot of hate originally cuz she's Puerto Rican, not Mexican. But after watching the movie, everyone immediately changed their tone and they're like, "Oh no, that was a good choice." Yeah. Uh, it was released on March 21st, 1997. Commercial critical success. Like I said, it was JLo's breakout role. I watched it for the first time last weekend. Again, has that 90s cheesiness. Sure. There's a scene where young Selena is looking at the stars and going, I just dream of being up there one day. Oh like being boy. a star. And I'm like, that is the most cringeworthy thing. Yeah. Um, other than the like moments of 90s weirdness. It's a really good movie. Um, in 2018, Netflix announced they would be producing an entire show based on Selena's life, which now both parts are out. They released it as one season in two parts. Yeah, they've been doing that a lot. Um, fantastic. I can't bring myself to watch the final episode, full disclosure. I've not seen the final episode yet because my heart was broken from the movie and that was too much to handle in one weekend. And, but I do want to point out that the actress Christian Serratos who plays Selena is fantastic. She looks like you took Selena and just copy pasted her into 21, wow. 2021. Like so good. Uh, so go watch that. Just emotionally prepare yourself. And that is Selena. That's a good, that's a good episode. It is a lot happier, but it's still, it sad. is a lot happier. It, act- it might actually be sadder because it was such a sharp turn. Yeah. It came out of nowhere. Like I can't, I can't imagine if like, you just woke up one day and they were like, you know, J-Lo's been murdered by a crazy fan. We'd all be like, what the fuck? Yeah. So I can see why the public reacted so strongly. Yeah. Completely understandable. Especially mm. when it's like someone who's about to like take off too. Yeah. And like they didn't think that they needed to send someone with her because she was a family friend and like they trusted her. Yeah. So I can't believe... Jeez. That ha- also, uh, I don't know if anyone else thought this, but my mom thought that she died in a plane crash. So if you what? thought that, it's definitely not true. Weird. Yeah, she was like, we watched the movie, and she was like, I was convinced she died in a plane crash. I was like, no, no, it's it pretty common knowledge she was murdered. Yeah. So don't know where you got that idea. Maybe it's the Mandela effect. Probably. So next month we're gonna bring you some happier episodes. Yes, I promise. Maybe we'll talk about death metal. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website, www.chiwarocku.com. There you can find our social show notes, contact us information, and our brand new merch. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.